0: Well, good morning, everyone. Let me just pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together in celebration of harvest and to listen to your word. We pray that you would speak into our hearts now by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder what harvest means to you. Perhaps for some of us, the word conjures up memories of harvest festival celebrations at school. I wonder whether it brings to mind the sight, the smell, or even the taste of beautifully decorated harvest loaves or displays of fruit and veg such as we see behind me today. Perhaps for others of us, harvest reminds us of the sound of voices raised, in a wonderful harvest hymn. I sung some of those this morning as well. Perhaps it reminds us of the weight of tins of food in our hands brought along for a harvest appeal. We're doing that today too. For me, harvest is centered around memories of pampas grass stems. Do you know what pampas grass looks like? It's a really, really tall garden plant that's got like a long stalk and sort of bushy thing on top. I don't really know. I'm not a gardener. But my parents had a bush of this pampas grass in their garden at home. And every autumn when I was at school, my job was to bring along five or six of these pampas grass stems to form the centrepiece of our harvest display. The abiding memory is these scratches that I got all over my hands and my arms. They're really prickly, these pampas grass. And navigating the journey to to school with an armful every year is my abiding memory of harvest. Well, I wonder how many of those things you spotted in today's reading from Exodus. I didn't see any harvest loaves in this passage. I didn't see any reference to ploughing the fields and scattering. There was a mention of food in there, Who spotted, there was one food and one drink item in that reading. Did anyone spot them? Milk and honey, exactly. So a bit of food in there. And I don't know what kind of bush the burning bush was, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been pampas grass. So we might think there are no obvious harvest clues in today's passage, But I hope that as we look at these verses together this morning, we might gain a new perspective on harvest and have a chance to think a bit more deeply about what it really means, how God can be at work through harvest, and how we might respond. So if you've closed your Bibles, do reopen them. We're on page 59, and we're going to look at this passage from Exodus chapter 3 together. And we're going to consider this under two main headings. So I'm going to talk, first of all, about the God of Harvest. What do we learn about God from this passage? Then we're going to think about the people of Harvest. And finally, we'll consider briefly how we're called to respond. I just want to give you a little bit of context before we start, because we're sort of dipping right into the middle of the Old Testament. Well, not quite the middle, it's near the beginning, but you know what I mean. At this stage in the Old Testament, the people of Israel are in Egypt, and they are in slavery there. They're being oppressed and treated as slaves by the Egyptians. Moses is an Israelite, but he is currently living in exile in the land of Midian, where he's got married, he's had a son. And if we read on a bit in the book of Acts, it tells us that by the point that this story takes place, he's been in Midian for about 40 years. So firstly, we're going to think about what we learn about the God of harvest from this passage. So Moses is having a pretty ordinary day, but he has what by any circumstances is an extraordinary experience, doesn't he? He's just been going around his business as a shepherd, looking after his father-in-law's flocks in the land of Midian, and he finds himself at Horeb. Now, I'm told that Horeb is a different name for Mount Sinai, and if we know our Old Testament, we know that there's quite a few more significant encounters between God and people that take place at Mount Sinai, so it's a key place. Moses spots a bush on fire. Now, I don't know, I've never actually been to a desert, but I imagine it's not that uncommon to find a bush catch fire. But there's something strange about this one, because the bush is on fire, but it's not being burned up. Now, I used to be a scientist, and I know that you can't have fire without fuel for the fire. Okay, So if we have a fire in our living room, we'd probably have a stack of logs next to it and keep topping it up. If we have a barbecue in the garden, we're going to need either a gas cylinder or a supply of charcoal, because without fuel, the fire is not going to last for very long. But this is different. This fire has a life of its own. It is self-sufficient. It generates its own energy. It doesn't rely on anything external. This fire is the presence of God himself. So Moses goes over to the bush, and then God speaks to him. He calls him by name and identifies himself as the God of Moses' ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who made promises to them. The God of covenant and relationship. Moses is afraid to look directly at him, recognizing the identity and the holiness of the one who is speaking. God continues telling Moses that he has seen the misery of the people in Egypt, he has heard their cry for help, and he is concerned for them. So he has taken action and come down to rescue them, to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, symbols of the blessing of God. And if we know the rest of the story, we know that is what happened, Moses did lead the Israelites out of of Egypt. But then they wandered in the desert for about 40 years before they eventually did enter the Promised Land. I'm going to come back to that later. But for the moment, I want us to to focus on the God who sees his people's need. The God who hears their cry. The God who comes down to rescue them, leading them out of slavery towards the promised land. And then, I'd like us to cast our minds forward by about 1,500 years to see that same God in action once more, coming down to rescue his people, not from slavery to the Egyptians, but from slavery to sin and death. Coming down to rescue them in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, leading them, us, out of slavery towards the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, life in his presence forevermore. So the God of harvest is a God who has acted decisively in the work of Jesus Christ to set us free from the power of sin and death. And we can have confidence that he will one day bring us into the fullness of his blessings in the promised land, in the kingdom of God. But we're not there yet. Just as in the Lord's Prayer, we're encouraged to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So we get the privilege of sharing in God's mission on earth right now to spread his kingdom while we wait and long for his return when the kingdom will come in all its fullness. So how can we do this? Well, I think one way is to follow the pattern of how God acts in this passage. Remember what we saw him do. He sees his people's need. He hears their cry, he is concerned, and he takes action. Now to help us think about what it might look like in practice for us to do this, we're going to watch a short video clip in a second. You might have seen this at church over the last few Sundays, but it's well worth watching again now. Thanks, Helen. So the opening words of that video were, education lifts communities out of poverty. That's a really clear need, isn't it? And there's a really good plan in place to meet that need by building the classrooms so that more and more children can be educated and lifted out of poverty in that community of Katete. So can I ask us all this morning, are we challenged to follow the pattern of the God of Harvest? Having seen this need, and there will be other needs we're aware of too, Will we do what we can to help raise the funds to educate that community and plant seeds for a harvest for generations to come? And there will be other ways too in which we can share in God's mission to spread his kingdom among the people and situations we come across day by day. So far we've been thinking about this passage through the lens of the God of harvest. We're going to move on now and focus in on the experience of the people of Israel and consider what we, if we are people of harvest, what can we learn from their perspective? And we're going to step back a little bit from this passage and focus on the bigger picture of the Exodus narrative. So after this burning bush encounter, Moses returned to Egypt and to cut a long story short, He eventually, the Israelites leave Egypt through a miraculously parted Red Sea, and they head off into the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land. And then, they develop a wonderful habit of praising God for his grace to them, for saving them, and they are filled with gratitude for his blessings. Not. In fact, it is the very opposite. They are only three days into their journey when the water starts to run out and they get hungry. Later on, they get thirsty. It goes from hunger to thirst back to hunger again. And each time they grumble, they quarrel with one another, they blame Moses for the situation, and they say they would rather have died in Egypt where at least there was food to eat. Despite God providing for them in miraculous ways, time after time, somehow they don't learn the lesson. And every time their stomach starts to rumble, the grumbling starts up again. Okay, so I am making a little bit of a joke out of it, but sometimes I stop and think, would I have responded any differently if I were in their situation? Do I respond any differently in my own life? Because in some ways, our current situation is a bit like the Israelites in the desert. We too are on our way to the promised land, but we're not there yet. And it is quite easy to read about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and grumbling away and think, yes, of course, God wanted them to learn to grow in gratitude and thankfulness for the blessings he had given them and learn to rely on him to provide what they need. But it's a lot harder When I look at my own life and identify the areas in which I fail to give thanks to God for the blessings he has given me, for my family, my friends, a roof over my head, the food on the table, sufficient money in the bank, the ability to go away on holiday, the beautiful creation I see around me day by day, and so on, and so on. Just take a moment now to ask yourself the question. What are you grateful for that God has blessed you with? It might be some of the things I've just said or something completely different. But could we all commit to thanking God for his blessings more regularly? A simple way to start would be to just identify one different thing every day that we want to say thank you God for. But perhaps for some of us it's hard to identify anything that we want to thank God for and I recognize it can be tough when life is difficult and we struggle to see signs of God's blessing in our lives. I'd like us to watch another short video now as we think about this. It's a story of someone in need who received help from a local food bank and as we watch it can we listen out for the ways in which she expresses thanks and gratitude even in the midst of challenging circumstances. Thanks Helen. Thank you. So that lady's name was Donna, and for her, even when the cupboard was empty and she was at the end of her own resources, she found something to be grateful for in the welcome and the non-judgmental help she received from others. We're going to have a chance later in today's service to bring our own food bank contributions to help people like Donna in need in our local community. But for now, as we hold on to what it means for us to be harvest people, let's remember that calling to grow in a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness to God, looking out for blessings to thank him for, for his fingerprints of grace in our lives, even when life is difficult. So we began by reflecting on the God of harvest and we've now thought a little about what it means for us to be people of harvest. Let's finally bring some of those thoughts together and consider what the call of harvest is for us today by just looking back at our passage briefly through the lens of Moses' experience. So at the start of the passage, as we've seen, Moses encountered God in the burning bush in a way that filled him with awe and reverence, acknowledging the holiness of the one who is speaking to him and hearing his love and concern for his people. In the final verse of today's passage, when God called Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt, this calling was grounded in the encounter that Moses had just had. This wasn't just someone suggesting to Moses that maybe if you've got a bit of time on your hands and feel so inclined, you could take a wander down to Egypt and see if there's anything maybe you could do to give these people a bit of relief in their trouble. It wasn't that at all. It's quite different. This call came from a holy God who had revealed himself to Moses, who had already come down himself to intervene in the situation, and who was giving Moses the privilege of playing a part in the mission God had already begun. Similarly for us, our calling begins with an encounter with God in worship, in praise, and in prayer. We begin by recognising who he is and what he has already done for us in Jesus Christ and lifting our eyes to the big picture of his mission to spread his kingdom on earth now before one day he returns in glory. And he gives us the privilege of playing a part in that mission. That is the call of harvest, to play our own small part in God's work of sharing the good news, tackling injustice, helping people break out of poverty and safeguarding his creation. This is not about making us feel guilty because there are so many things that we can simply not do by ourselves. But it is about responding in generosity as we are able, recognising that we each have differing resources and abilities. So this Harvest Sunday... How might we respond to God's call? Could we bring to mind one area of need locally or further afield where our heart is moved to make a difference and we can take action to help meet that need? And finally, let's also give thanks to God this harvest for the many ways in which he has blessed us, individually and as a church. And may we daily seek to grow a spirit of gratitude that our hearts may overflow in thanks and praise to God this harvest time and always. Amen.